This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. The following is a sponsored program. Zoomer Radio and MZ Media Incorporated do not endorse any of the statements or opinions made by the contributors. There's a lot of natural strategies to help many different subsets of health, but really in the world of mental health, it's desperately required. The prescriptions that we commonly use in this area, while necessary, and I'm not trying to add to stigmas, but they are, like most drugs in this day and age, grossly over-prescribed. And the bigger issue to me is there is not a discussion of what medically we would call informed consent. Welcome to The Tonic. I'm your host, Jamie Bussin, and we're here to talk about your health and wellness. Today, we'll hear about the natural treatment of anxiety, depression, and insomnia. We'll discuss your conflict style. We'll find out how to work with a holistic nutritionist. And lastly, we'll learn what it's like to be a parent with a child who has Dravet syndrome. But first, a little bit of business. Are you stressed out, feeling down, having trouble sleeping? New Roots Herbal offers natural supplements to help take the edge off, relax, enhance your mood, and sleep better. Discover De-Stress, Merry Mind Omega, and Sleep 8. Natural ingredients and guaranteed purity for a better day and a restful night. Find these and other New Roots Herbal products exclusively at quality health food stores. To ensure these products are right for you, always read and follow the label. And for more information, visit newrootsherbal.com. Naturopathic Dr. Philip Rashadis graduated from the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine in 2004. Proceeded by an honors undergraduate degree and master's of science degree, both in nutritional sciences from the University of Guelph. Philip practices at the Bolton Naturopathic Clinic in Bolton, Ontario with his wife, Dr. Heidi Fritz. Philip's areas of clinical focus include mental health, autoimmune disease, and metabolic syndrome. He also serves as an associate professor at the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, responsible for delivery of the second year curriculum in clinical nutrition. Welcome to the show, sir. How are you? I'm wonderful. It's a real treat to be here. Thank you for having me. My pleasure. So this time of year, people suffer and they suffer from sadness um, and they suffer from melancholy just because there's less sunlight and there's lots going on. We've had the holidays and there's a lot of people who deal with mental health issues and a lot of people are taking prescriptions for it. Do you think that's a matter of concern? I definitely think it's a matter of concern. It's been a real privilege to be able to work in this area for for the last 15, 16 years or so. And I'm always asked to come talk about it this time of year, but truly working in the field, it's an all year round problem. It can certainly be heightened by poor weather, absolutely. And we live in a country that's famous for having the highest rate of multiple sclerosis on the planet. And that's been fairly tightly linked to our very low levels of vitamin D and and sunlight Sunlight. exposure. But it really is an all year round issue. And I like to take the opportunity when I'm here in the winter talking about it to remind people of that. We're not just suffering in the winter. And the reason I got into this area There's a lot of natural strategies to help many different subsets of health, but really in the world of mental health, it's desperately required. The prescriptions that we commonly use in this area, while necessary, and I'm not trying to add to stigmas, many of my patients take them and they absolutely couldn't function without them, but they are, like most drugs in this day and age, grossly over-prescribed. 
And the bigger issue to me is there is not a discussion of what medically we would call informed consent, which means if I'm going to prescribe you something, I'm obligated to go through with you why we're giving it to you, um, cost, potential adverse effects, potential addictiveness, etc. And that conversation in the world of prescription mental health drugs just really isn't happening. And patients come and see me, hey, I've been taking this medication for two, three months, I'm experiencing A, B, C, X, Y, Z. And I just sit there going, didn't anyone tell you about this? If you Google adverse effects of this medication you're taking, you're describing the common list. So I see that lack of conversation about informed consent as a real problem in this area. Yeah, I think part of the problem might be, though, the, the issues that they're dealing with are so significant that, you know, even if they did know some of the side effects are the potential downside or adverse effects, they might still choose to take those drugs. That's absolutely true, and that is where many of my patients find themselves, yet it's turned to as first line when really there are much safer, much fewer adverse effect-inducing strategies that are very, very effective. And that's where I think the naturopathic doctor, the integrative healthcare practitioner comes in, we love what we do and we can sit back and see the impact we can have on very serious mental health concerns with simple, safe, essentially side effect free strategies. Well, you know, maybe it would be helpful if we sort of identified some of the problems that are associated with the prescribed medications. You know, for those who don't know, what are they? Again, we don't want to add to stigma and vilify, but it's really common for people to describe a real flatness. Yeah, like so a numbness. Yeah. We get it, right? You start with a mood of zero out of 10. You have thoughts of taking your own life. It's, it's a horrible situation to be in. You take the medication, it's helpful. You know, your mood, you'll say, is now a 4 out of 10. You don't have thoughts of taking your own life anymore, but you'd prefer not to stay at a 4 out of 10. So in that situation, there's many things we can do. Sexual solemnness is a big one. That defined is just you, you lose libido, you lose interest in being intimate, and that's described by a lot of people as being really concerning. Weight gain is one. And they are they're considered very addictive. They are really hard to get off of, very hard. Yeah. You know, it's funny. The weight gain is empirical. Apparently, there aren't studies that show there are significant weight gain with the mood enhancing or the mood altering drugs. But I know people who are on antidepressants and they absolutely, to a T, all of them report that they have weight that they've put on that they cannot take off. It's, it's, it's fascinating to me. I don't know what the connection is, but it's absolutely true. Yeah, you see it reproducibly. The antidepressant class of medication, which would be the most common, is said not to do that, but it certainly does. The antipsychotic class, which is, a, which is a little different, but still quite commonly used, very, very directly reproducibly induces very significant weight gain. I know in reading a little bit about the work that you do, you discuss depression and anxiety and insomnia sort of collectively. Why do you do that? Why should we look at those three symptoms collectively? The fancy word in medicine is comorbidity. It means bad things that happen together. A really common area more people will have heard about this in is on the metabolic side. So it's very common for diabetes and cholesterol and blood pressure to cluster together. So this right. is a comorbidity, bad things happening together. In the world of mental health, you can certainly see depression on its own. And you ask the person, do you suffer anxiety? And they don't even know what the word means. But most commonly, you see depression plus anxiety plus insomnia cluster together. That is the common comorbidity in the world of mental health. You wouldn't think of depression and anxiety sort of being together, right? I mean, they seem symptomologically, they seem that they're very different, right? Like if you're depressed, you wouldn't think that you were excitable. You'd think, you'd sort of think that you're, you're numb 
to the world affecting you, whereas anxiety makes you feel like you're sort of hyper vigilant to the, how the world is affecting you. It's an interesting conundrum. It's an interesting thought, but in practice, it, it happens quite differently. So if you're depressed for a really long time, that weighs on you and you feel worry. You feel worry and fear. Or if it starts with worry and fear and panic and you're suffering that frequently, that really easily lends itself to feeling of depression. Okay. So we've identified, you know, people who are suffering from, from mental illnesses, you know, typically how they're feeling and, and what the symptomology is. Let's try and move forward and see if there's any way that we can help them in a natural way. So let's start with lifestyle strategies. What would you recommend as being helpful for people who are suffering from, from these? Following what we, we term the sad diet, the standard American diet, does not lend itself to good mental health. You know, you don't, I, I hope that's fairly obvious. You don't want to be living off the junk food, etc. A fruit and vegetable-based diet, we always really promote what's called the Mediterranean dietary pattern. It has tremendous amounts of research behind it. It's life-saving from a cardiovascular perspective. And since then, the research branches out and we show it's good for for neurological disease, like it staves off dementia and Alzheimer's. Sure enough, it helps mood. Sure enough, it does really positive things in pregnancy. So it's basically a vegetable and fruit-based diet. You want to every day include nuts and seeds. You want to every day include olive oil. And the little tagline for this diet is regarding meats is no legs, then two legs, then four legs. So focus on seafood, poultry in moderation, limit the red meat. That's sort of the crux of this diet program. And also, of course, exercise. That we have very direct on-point human evidence. If we take people with a diagnosis of major depressive disorder and we get half of them just to go about their normal business, the other half we put in an exercise regime, exercise really helps mood. These have been clearly established. Right. And, you know, we talk a lot about the interconnectedness between diet and exercise. And, and the other pillar that we talk about is sleep as well. And sort of focusing on getting good sleep is tied to a good diet and good exercise. And I think that would help alleviate depression and stress too, if you had a good night's sleep. Absolutely. And that's why a big part of this discussion also focuses on insomnia. Right. But I wanted to go as important as diet and exercise are, that's not the end all and be all. They are right. far more important when we talk about something like diabetes. What really hit me as a practitioner, I'll never forget it, the first two people I ever saw in private practice with a specific diagnosis of depression were two of the cleanest living elite athletes I had ever met in my life. Hmm. Their diet was not contributing to their mental health. Their lack of exercise was not contributing to their mental health. So for a large subset of people, yes, these diet and lifestyle considerations are very important, but there are people out there living perfect lifestyles and exercising very appropriately who still significantly suffer with mental health concerns. Yeah, I, I like it. You know, it certainly can help. Diet, nutrition, lifestyle is going to help. It can't hurt. Right. It may not make the difference, but it's certainly not going to stop you from enjoying the rest of your life and making your life better. And it'll prolong your life, improve quality of life, all those wonderful things. Right. Okay. So let's shift gears again. We've talked about lifestyle. Let's talk about some of the supplements that might be able to help people who are suffering from these problems. Right. So the big first step is to differentiate between supplements that would be appropriate for somebody who's on a medication in this area mm -hmm. versus supplements that would not. Right. So some definitely have herb-drug interactions that we need to be concerned about. And we need to avoid those among individuals who are actively taking a medication in the prescription of mental, in the world of mental health. But to start, so if the person is medicated, so I'm on a medication for mental health, my mood was zero, 
Now my mood is four. Right. I'm grateful for that impact of the medication, but I'd prefer to feel a little better than a four. Is there anything I can do? And absolutely there is. So there's four big ones that we focus on. One is high EPA fish oil. One is vitamin D. One is a B-complex or a multivitamin. You want to make sure it has Bs, but you're focused on the Bs. And the other, if sleep is an issue, is melatonin. Okay. So all four of these things are completely safe to combine with any prescription someone might be taking in the world of mental health. And when combined, that might seem really simple. Like, I've heard of all of those things. Those don't seem like anything special. But when you combine them for somebody with mental health concerns, the impact very often is quite profound, takes a few weeks to kick in, and delivers very important benefit. I'd love to have the opportunity to address each one in a little more yeah, detail. Yeah, let's do, let's do that. The big one, I love it, it's, my heart's in it because it was my, the topic of my master's degree in nutrition, um, is fish oil. So there's two active ingredients in fish oil, EPA and DHA. Fish oil does wonderful things for your heart, wonderful things for your brain, but we have no less than 60 plus human studies showing us that if you supplement fish oil, it has really powerful, positive impact to mood. But the key here is, Commercially, most fish oils sort of have almost equal amounts of EPA, DHA. It's kind of a special fish oil you need to positively impact mood. And what that specialness is, is that it has to be very, very high in EPA. So if you get an oil with sort of equal amounts of EPA, DHA, or more DHA than EPA, it's not going to help mood. It absolutely has to be very high EPA fish oil to have positive impact in this realm. Okay, so when you say very high, is there amount per milligram or, or that, that you should be looking for on the label? Or? It's a great question. There's not a magic number. You want to hit one gram of EPA. And then the question is how much DHA is there? Okay. You want it to be significantly less. Maybe a thousand EPA with 300 DHA or a thousand EPA with 200 DHA or a thousand with 100. Either way, it's got much more EPA than DHA and you're hitting a gram, a thousand milligrams of EPA per day. I was going to say daily. And I presume when people are shopping, they can look on the label and they will see that. It has, Absolutely. To, it has to be set out on the label for yeah. fish oils, correct? All fish oils will lay out EPA and DHA content. Should we be concerned at all about the sourcing of the fish oil or then, or which fish we, the I oil can, comes from? Or? I would love to go down that road with you. It's quite complex, but okay. from an environmental perspective, you should really always be getting fish oil from either sardine or anchovy, which okay. is fairly common, but not always. Is that because they're lower on the food chain? They are kind of plentiful. Nobody's catching them to make fish oil. They're being caught to make pellets for aquaculture. Right. And the fish oil is kind of a byproduct of the pellet manufacturing process. Got it. Okay. So it's being done anyway. You're not contributing to fish being caught. The vitamin D, Canadians are deficient in vitamin D. It's right. a no-brainer. It's the only supplement that's specifically mentioned in the Canadian food guide. Yep. We're all low. Take vitamin D. Sure enough, we have human studies. We take people with a diagnosis of depression. We give them placebo or vitamin D. They feel better if they take the vitamin D. It's not rocket science. And it's inexpensive and it's easy to access. It's, it really is a no-brainer. Pennies right? per day. Yep. B-complex, similarly. People that take this generally report better sense of well-being. They feel their mood improves. They feel they're, they're more able to participate in their daily activities. I want to take advantage of that. Super inexpensive and very helpful. And the melatonin, it is 
wonderful for sleep, absurdly inexpensive, very safe, very safe to combine with other stuff. The side effect of it, it's one of maybe only two supplements on the planet that I would say has the potential to reduce your lifetime risk of cancer. A lot of safety data on melatonin comes from people that we have multiple human studies that give high-dose melatonin to people with advanced cancer. Mm -hmm. It prolongs life. It improves quality of life. Um, it reduces adverse effects of chemotherapy radiation. And that's a very separate application. The main thing melatonin does is help sleep. So if people have a sleep issue, they should be looking into melatonin. Do you recommend melatonin uh, to take sort of ahead of the game? In other words, you take it every day, or do you just take melatonin if you're having difficulty sleeping? We're usually dealing with people that have pretty severe insomnia, so it becomes daily long-term. There's no concern with that whatsoever. Um, most people, though, end up using it sort of as needed. So they'll take it every day for a couple of weeks, and then they find they're sleeping great without taking it. And that's wonderful. And then you keep it around, and if you're finding you have a couple bad nights sleep, you start using it again. Fantastic. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. You're going to be back next month, and uh, what are we going to discuss next month? Next month is a good one. It's uh, Collectively, it's called metabolic syndrome, and we talked about it briefly in today's show. It's the clustering of diabetes plus cholesterol plus blood pressure. So we're going to dive into all three of those and some simple strategies with which we can help manage those very common cardiovascular risk factors. Fantastic. Looking forward to it. We've got to take a short break, but we'll be right back on The Tonic. The Tonic is brought to you by Purely Natural. Their Liquid Greens Chlorophyll is the only line of soluble, grit-free, and great-tasting greens on the market. Liquid Greens can easily be mixed with your favorite drink to provide a sustained natural boost of energy to help you get through your day. There's unflavored, which is great with orange juice. The mint flavor is cool and refreshing. Dark chocolate has all the health benefits of a salad, but with a great chocolate taste. And for that extra detox boost, try activated charcoal and mint. Enjoy the energy. Enjoy the detox. Enjoy the great taste. Purely natural liquid greens. With EF Go Ahead Tours Canada, experience the world like a local by traveling alongside expert guides who call your destination home. Enjoy authentic meals, immersive sightseeing, and enriching cultural activities. They'll handle all the details. All you have to do is enjoy your trip. For more information, visit goaheadtours.ca. You're listening to The Tonic on Sumer Radio. My next guest, Carlisle Jansen, is the founder of Good For Her, Toronto's premier sexuality shop and workshop centre in Toronto. And she's the producer of the Toronto International Porn Festival. She's also the author of two books, including Sex Yourself. You can watch her TEDx Toronto talk and educational videos at carlislejansen.com. And if you want to reach out to her, you can do so at carlisle at goodforher.com. Happy New Year. Welcome back to the show. Hello. Always so great to see you. And it's uh, going to be a great decade. It is. <laughs> if only you and I could get along. And if only everybody else could get along. Right. And, and there's so much <laughs> angst and anxiety and conflict in the world. 
world, and and we're going to try and help with that today, right? Yes, absolutely. So this comes from an article that you wrote for the magazine some years ago, actually. Yep. yep. But it's still relevant, perhaps even more relevant now. Right. And what we're going to talk about today is understanding your own conflict style, mm-hmm. because everybody has a style, apparently, in dealing yep. with conflict. Yep. And if we understand how we do it, I think we can also understand how the people that who we are in conflict with deal with conflicts, and maybe we can resolve things better. Yeah, I think the goal of this is really, you know, know thyself yeah. and know what what you need to do to improve on it and not have a stalemate. Because if you don't address conflict or you address it in not so healthy ways, it means that things either stagnate, they go stale, or they get really heightened, right? And you end up feeling really mad at each other. And knowing your partners can help you to help them as well. Right. So that's why we want to avoid conflict. Why is it relevant to to understand the conflict styles? It's just, it's it's information so that you can catch yourself when you're following your pattern. Um, yeah. And you can understand better also, what are the downsides of this style, right? Every style has a positive side and yeah. a negative side. And Sometimes we have one style when dealing with our partner and another style when dealing with a friend or a boss. Sometimes when things are easy, we're able to be a little bit more upfront about things. And when things are really hard and trigger our self-esteem or we worry about the consequences more, then we shift what our style is, right? We either ramp it up or we ramp it down. So knowing what those are is just helpful so that you can make sure that you address conflict in the healthiest way and most productive way. Okay. And that makes sense. We all want to have more tools in our tool belt to deal with what we have to deal with. So what what is a conflict style? Like, what do we mean by that? Like, like what are we talking about? Um, so it's a way that we address somebody else when we have a disagreement, when we have our needs aren't being met. It's when we uh, want to express ourselves, when we feel um, like we need to repair something. So it's a way that we deal with our own self-esteem needs, our own interactions with someone else. It's it's how we how we tend to do it. Right. It's our MO. It's how our it's yeah. how our personality drives our resolution style. Yeah. How we cope, right? Yeah. Yep, absolutely. Okay, so it's really interesting to read about the different types. And I, mm. and I think the listeners, you know, can imagine along with us as we're talking about it, like, who am I yeah. and who is my partner like? Right, yeah. And I'm sure we all know somebody who fits into these categories, yes, right? Yes, absolutely, absolutely. So let's start with the accommodator. Mm-hmm. So this is someone who really thinks like, I really want to preserve the relationship and I'll put my needs and my goals secondary. And so I'm just going to go along with what you want because that's going to make the relationship better. Except unfortunately what that does is it means that I then sometimes feel taken for granted, taken advantage of, then I sometimes build resentment. And what then happens is that you don't actually know what I want. You don't know who I am. You don't know that I'm feeling resentful. And sometimes then later on, I just I just leave right. <laughs> or I blow up. You never care about me. And you're like, what, where is this coming from? Right. <laughs> you never brought this up before. No, uh, you know, if I were dealing with an accommodator, I might mm. assume that everything's okay. Right, I, I, sure. I, I might assume this is, they prefer to live yeah. with this sort of status. Yeah. Uh, so why would I, why would I attempt yeah. to address their needs if they don't want to, right? Yeah. Or they, you know, these things aren't just aren't important to them. So when something yeah. this important comes up, then we'll deal with it. But if they're happy to, you know, 
go for Chinese food because that's what I want to do, then we'll do that. And I don't know that they actually really wanted to go for Thai food or a hamburger. I am in no way an accommodator. Okay. All right. I'm the (laughs) anti-accommodator. I'm not there. Yeah. Um, Okay, the next one you you mentioned in the article is avoider. Yeah, so it's it's different. It's that yeah, I was they, say, it sounds like it's like an accommodator. A it's bit. a little bit, but it's really it's that you don't want to rock the boat. So you're just going to pretend everything's okay. You still don't assert your own goals and needs, but what happens is that you also then avoid. If you want to talk about something, then I will just like I just I don't I don't want to go there. You know, I'm going to do everything to avoid. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. We don't need to talk about it. It's all good. We're better off not talking about it. We're better off not talking about it completely. So what happens is that there's really little genuine connection. There's no growth and, and often it feels flat. Right. And you just feel like, where are you? And I'm just, you know, running away. There doesn't seem to be much upside to an an avoider style of conflict resolution to me. Yeah. No, the only upside is in a crisis. Right. It's a temporary like, okay, you know what? We're not going to deal with this right now because we can't rock the boat. Right. We're in the middle of a party. (laughs) All our friends are here. You know, let's not deal with this in front of everybody right now. Let's shelve it and deal with it later. Right. Well, well, that's common sense. That's common sense. But that's the that's the only time I can think of where we we just avoid it. Or, you know, if you're an abusive relationship, you know what? I'm not going to rock that boat (laughs) (laughs) because if that boat rocks, I'm getting, you know, hit or I'm getting told horrible things. So sometimes it's actually self-preservation. And what happens is that if you feel like you couldn't address conflict when you were younger or in a previous relationship, you tend to continue that pattern and it takes you a while before you realize that it's actually safe to assert your own needs and that it's okay to rock the boat and that the boat won't sink if you do that. Okay. The next one I think is a little more positive and that's mm-hmm. and that's the collaborator. Yeah. Yeah, and so you feel like everybody needs their needs met. So it's not just mine, but it's also yours and that that's actually really positive for the stability of the relationship. That this is going to make sure that we you know, don't build up resentment, that we understand each other, that we're all feeling good. And so we do our best to collaborate on what do we need to do here and what's, you know, what what's going to be the best for both of us and our relationship. What's the downside to being a collaborator? <laughs> so... We've all met these people. They like to process, and they like to process some more, and then they want to process it again, and um, and that it's, you know, they're just so wanting to make sure that everybody's needs are met, that it's all heavy, and it's all processing, and you don't actually end up having much fun together. Now, that's a really extreme example, right? right? But sometimes what you need to do is just say, like, okay, you know what? We've discussed this. It's enough. You know, I think we've come to a resolution. Let's move forward, see how that works for us or you know like let's only talk about this for the next half hour and then let's go and do something fun yeah there has to be an end to this yeah. conflict right yeah. Yeah. yeah and and sometimes it's also because if you come to a stalemate right yeah. sometimes then you need to take a time out because it might be that you're not going to solve this in the next half hour and maybe you need some time apart before you're going to resolve it because sometimes these people they want to have it resolved before you can do anything else and sometimes you need to let it sit for a bit everybody needs to self-reflect and then you can come back to it. I'm a little bit of a collaborator, but I think the next one is more my yeah. style, and yeah. that's competitor. Right. You like to win. I do. Yeah. 
Well, and, you know, lots of us like to win. Yeah. And, you know, in a sense, you know, the others like want to win also. It's just that winning looks different. Yeah. Winning might be that the relationship is stable as opposed to I get what I want, right? right? But so for you, it's that you want your needs met. And that sometimes it's like, you know what? I'm going to fight for my needs. You go ahead and fight for yours. I'm not going to fight for yours. (laughs) True. (laughs) So I want my needs met and um, the relationship, whatever, it'll fall where it is. And so the, the downside of that is that sometimes you create more conflict or... You know, ultimately, the goal is often that the relationship also survives, right? And yes. so so making sure that that stays on the table and that we think about the goals of the relationship, not just for yourself. So, it's a, you know, if one were narcissistic, yeah, being, being, sure. a, being yeah. a competitor would yeah. would not be helpful. And yeah. I would imagine there's a lot of overlap between sure. people who are self, self-centered yeah. and who want their way. Yeah. And I also would imagine there would be some pretty toxic relationships if, yes. for example, a competitor was with an accommodator. Oh, completely. It, it would yeah. be a one-sided type yeah. of relationship, yeah. right? Yeah. And eventually it goes really flat. The person who's the avoider or the accommodator just finally says, I'm not getting anything out of this. I'm, I'm miserable. Right. And really, Really, then they start blaming the other person when really it's, well, you know, you need to look at yourself and your own part in this also. If you're not actually asserting your needs, maybe your partner's not listening to you, but you're also not putting it out there either. So okay. it takes two to tango. And the other thing I think also about the <clears throat> the competitor is... You know, when is it the when when are your needs really really important? It can't be always. It can't be always, right? So what I found as a parent, people are always telling me, um, you know, choose your battles. Exactly. Right. What yeah. is really really important to you, and what are things like? You know what? I don't have to win this one. <laughs> right, and which comes to the last type, mm-hmm. which is uh, the compromiser. You know, you want to come to a solution, but unfortunately, sometimes you want to do that too quickly. So unlike the ones who want to process forever, really what happens is sometimes you basically you split the difference, but then nobody feels good. And right. then the, the disadvantage of that is that nobody's really addressing the underlying issues. Everybody feels unsatisfied and that you end up with a lose-lose rather than a win-win. That The goal is win-win, but when you just cut it too early, nobody understands, you know, each other, you don't feel connected. It's just nobody goes out feeling happy, and then you're just like not feeling very good. Okay. Well, <laughs> I think we've covered all the different types and yeah. given everybody food for thought. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Oh, it's always so much fun. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss working with a holistic nutritionist on the tonic. I'd like to give a shout out to our new sponsor, Omega Alpha. This company is 100% Canadian-owned. Their team consists of allopathic and naturopathic doctors, nutritionists, researchers, and other scientific professionals, all led by their CEO, Dr. Gordon Chang. Formulations are created on their 40,000-square-foot facility located in Toronto. Omega Alpha uses only the highest quality ingredients to manufacture the most efficacious yet price-friendly nutraceuticals. For more information about Omega Alpha, visit OmegaAlphaInc.com. The Big Carrot is a worker-owned natural food market that's been committed to local, organic, non-GMO, and sustainable food systems since 1983. They're a one-stop shop offering produce, grocery, bulk, body care, and holistic dispensary. The juice and smoothie bars and kitchens serve up hundreds of healthy dishes and drinks daily. Building community is at the core of their vision, which they deliver through education, outreach, and giving. They want everyone to share in the goodness they offer. Visit their website for more information at thebigcarrot.ca. This is The Tonic 
on Zoomer Radio. Megan Horsley is a registered holistic nutritionist, blog writer, and recipe developer. She's passionate about helping her clients discover their best selves with a holistic approach to their well-being, with delicious food, movement, and thoughts. Megan loves witnessing the transformations that unfold. You're a holistic nutritionist. Why, yes, I am. <laughs> and, you know, we've been talking for over a year. You've been coming on the show yeah, and, and talking have. talking about all sorts of health and wellness issues, all centered around food. Mm-hmm. But what we've never discussed in detail is how an individual works with a holistic nutritionist, like right. what it would be like to engage one and do the work, which is really interesting because in a roundabout side saddle sort of way, I've integrated you into my... My perpetual (laughs) search for equilibrium with my weight. And you've been giving me some great advice on little things that I can do because it's one thing to lose weight, but the hardest part I find is maintaining weight loss. Absolutely. Particularly as I'm much older now than I was when I lost the weight. I lost Mm -hmm. the weight in my late 30s. I'm now in my early 50s. And my metabolism is completely different. Changes, yeah. Right? Not that it was ever terrific, but (laughs) but now it is different downright sad. Why do people hire you? Why, why are people coming to you? Yeah, uh, so people will hire a registered holistic nutritionist for a variety of reasons, but the number one choice is because of weight loss. And it can also be to deal with, again, depending on the person, a variety of health conditions uh, that require specific protocols for healing. Um, so we, we really do a lot of different kinds of work. A holistic nutritionist works from a mind, body, and spirit approach, right? So we really look at the whole person, what, like everything that's going on in the person's life, we want to know everything. Right. Um, and so it, it is very personal. It can be very invasive. And again, um, this is something that we warn the client about from the onset. But we really do look at your, you know, what your career choices are, your family responsibilities, mindset, emotional state, physical activities, and, and what your spiritual connections are. So the idea is to approach the person with a, a complete lens, right? We really want to see everything. Okay. What are our reasonable expectations for, you call them clients or patients? Clients. What is a reasonable expectation for a client who comes to you? You know, some people I think probably come to you and they think you're going to fix everything. Pretty much, yeah. They, <laughs> right? <laughs> I've had that for sure. Uh, so first things first, it's important to note that as holistic nutritionists, we can't diagnose. And so, you know, clients will come to us saying, I have all of this stuff. What do I have? What do I have? What's going on with me? And we're not allowed to say, because technically we're just not qualified to say that. And so um, we work with diagnoses from doctors, um, medical, naturopathic, whoever it is. Um, and that's how we create our protocols. Are most people coming to you on referral from a doctor or, or an ND? No, actually, um, from referrals from other clients, generally speaking. Okay. Mm-hmm. So what sort of training are you getting when you're, when you're looking at mind, body, and spirit? Like, obviously, you're learning about nutritional value of food, but what other sorts of training are you getting? Yeah, so, you know, the the basis of what we're learning is how to balance and how to fix nutritional imbalances in the body. And what we look at are the symptoms from the different organ systems. So I brought in a form for you today just so you could see an example of what it looks like. It's a thick book. It is a thick book. 
So what you're looking at is the NSP client assessment form. So it's the Nutrisystems client assessment form. And what that means is basically we're having the client grade all of these symptoms that are listed here. And all of these symptoms are connected to the different organ systems. So what we can see is which organ systems are actually most out of balance. And we would focus on those. However, if a client comes to us and says, I'm dealing with X, um, but their organ systems don't show you know, issues with, with what their main health concern is, um, we would still focus on what their main health concern is. Right? right. So if I came to you and said, I'm just trying to get over the hump and lose 10 pounds, that's what you're going to focus on. I would help you, yes, with the, the losing weight aspect, but then I would also look at, you know, what else is going on and I would work on those in conjunction. Okay. So do holistic nutritionists have specific areas of expertise or are you all generally trained? So we're generally trained um, and it's up to the RHN to specialize if they want to. And the nice thing about um, both the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition, which is where I went, and the Institute of Holistic Nutrition, which is the other major school in Toronto, is that you have the chance to do um, advanced programs or advanced certifications after you graduate. So if you wanted to specialize in the immune system and autoimmune conditions, for example, you could do that. Right. And that's one option. Um, if you wanted to be a cancer coach and work within nutrition, you can do that too, but that's a whole other certification. Right. right. Okay. So let's discuss some of the tools uh, mm-hmm. that are at your disposal because, you know, you, you've raise some interesting thoughts and ideas and you know they're not terribly complicated but they are effective like mm-hmm. for example you you had me keep a food diary yes right? i did you loved doing that didn't you i did yeah. for a while i was very <laughs> diligent and i'm on, i'm not am i on the wagon off the wagon a food diary is obviously what you're doing is you're tracking exactly what you're consuming over the course of the day exactly yeah and, and preferably with you know with time stamps as well and right. if the client's really up for it i would love to have photos too Right. Yeah. I never sent you photos. No, you did. You didn't send photos. No, but that's but, fine. but I was very descriptive. <laughs> I recall that some of the things I was thought. Oh, that sounds delicious. Right? No, absolutely. Because like we eat well. Yes, we, you do. But it was really helpful to me because you can kid yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Look, particularly an emotional eater like me will sneak stuff late at night. But if you're being honest, and and really the tool only works if you're being honest, yeah, right? It it's, does. You really get a sense of the amount of food and the type of food that you're putting in, right? And it became apparent to me. Immediately, I'm eating generally healthy food, but I think you'll agree with me. I wasn't eating enough vegetables. Mm-hmm. And the other issue you had with me is I wasn't drinking enough water. Holy cow, water! Oh my gosh! Yeah, if I, I could just throw a gallon at you, I, would. <laughs> I, know. I know I don't drink enough water, and I still don't. It's really hard for me because I don't want to be peeing all day. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing: it levels out. That's what everyone says. That's the number one complaint I get with clients. Uh, you know, I work all day. This was this is the number one thing with teachers. Actually, I worked with a lot of teachers for a little while, and they say, "Well, I can't leave my classroom, so I right. don't drink a lot." of water right like okay well you know i get that you can what they do is they'll have another teacher watch watch over the class while they run to the bathroom right Right. but i get that it can be a pain in the butt um and it's just initially your body will get used to and start to absorb more of that water as you as you take yeah for me like i don't care how many bathroom breaks i take during the day although it is a little concerning when you keep getting up for me it was more about when i'm sleeping i don't want to keep waking up in the middle of the night to have to go right because i need my sleep right and there are things you can do about that like you know making sure you don't drink water, you know, an hour or two before you go right. to bed, that sort of thing. Like if you really want to Let's keep make the rest of, of the show all about me. No, <laughs> let's, let's not. What sort of programs are you seeing working for people that really are getting effects? 
For example, some people are into vegetarianism or veganism, and other people are doing intermittent fasting or the keto diet, for example. I mean, right, we, we've right. discussed them succinctly, but what are you seeing working for people? Again, it depends on what the client's goals are. So if I have a client who is a strict meat eater and really prides themselves on being a meat eater, I'm not going to say, all right, well, uh, so-and-so, it's time for vegetarianism. Your right. time's up, man. Like, I'm not, I can't do that, right? So you, you really have to make sure that the recommendations you're making for the client actually make sense for the client. You know, you don't want it to be so rigid. Um, you really don't want them to be so against the recommendations you're making because then the change won't happen. So vegetarianism can be a good thing for a client if that's something they believe in. Right. If there's a client who believes in the keto diet, you know, while I don't necessarily believe that's for everyone, if they steadfastly want to stick to it, then I would help support that, right? And make sure that they have the right nutrition protocols in place. Right. So you mentioned intermittent fasting. Again, that's another tactic depending on the person. So right. for someone who is diabetic, it's not necessarily something that's going to work for them when we're dealing with blood sugar issues, right? So you really have to focus on, okay, what are the client's needs and what are their goals? And will this actually work for them? Yeah, and it has to be something that's sustainable, right? Because Absolutely. anybody can do anything, let's say, for a couple of months, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like if you have any modicum of willpower, yes, even if you like your meat, you could be a vegetarian. Or if you have a hectic schedule, you can still figure out how to do the intermittent fasting. Yes. The question is, are you going to be able to do it in six months? Are you going to be able to do it in a year? Because if you can't do it, it's not going to be of any help to you. But. but here's the thing, right? Like if we look at six months to 12 months from now, the the very uh, tools that you're using may not even work for you anymore because you you have new goals, right? Like yep. the, again, you have to understand that the client perspective can constantly be changing, right? So you won't necessarily have the same goal forever and that can change and that's okay. Yep. Okay, so if I were going to retain a holistic nutritionist, how would I go about it and what what should I look for in a great one? Yeah. Uh, And it could be you. It could be me. Yes, it could definitely be me. I would say that the number one characteristic that you want to look for is compassion. You really are, and again, if you're being honest with yourself as a client, you really are pouring out a lot of very personal things. Um, A lot of the times for clients, childhood trauma, childhood issues um, can come up because we know that a lot of our associations with food are embedded in our childhood, right? And even when we're talking about emotional eating, a lot of the times... When we're eating foods that that we love so much, it's because they remind us of our childhood or something from our childhood. Yeah, emotional connection. Absolutely. So compassion is extremely important and the nutritionist should, you know, really understand what process you're going through and how hard this this whole process can be. Well, that is fantastic advice. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thanks so much for having me, Jamie. This was fun. We've got to take a short break, but when we return, we'll discuss what it's like to be a parent with a child with Dravet syndrome on The Tonic. BeWell Health Clinic is downtown Toronto's most comprehensive psychological wellness clinic. Consisting of psychiatrists, psychologists, psychotherapists, social workers, naturopathic doctors, acupuncturists, and many more practitioners all under the same roof. They take an integrative approach to your wellness, and they all work with you to achieve your goals. Located steps from Union Station, BeWell Health Clinic also does direct billing to most insurance providers. Whether your condition requires medication or talk therapy, they can help with it all. For more information, visit BeWellClinic.ca. Hi, this is Jamie Busson. I'm not only the host of the Tonic Talk Show, I'm also the publisher of Tonic Magazine. 
Tonic is a health and wellness magazine distributed with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in the most affluent neighborhoods in Toronto. It's also available free on racks at over 150 locations across the GTA. For more information about Tonic Magazine, visit tonictoronto.com. Hey, if you like the Tonic Talk Show, you'll love Tonic Magazine, and vice versa. This is The Tonic on Zoomer Radio. Celestine Caravaggio has performed in over 25 commercials, including Walmart, Uber, The Keg, and the GoDaddy Raptor commercial. Oh my God, the GoDaddy curse. Uh, (laughs) She broke into the film scene last summer in the Canadian Anglo-French film, Pure Lane. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're going to talk about your life as a working actress, but also some of the complications to your life Mm -hmm. because your son has Dravet syndrome. Yes, actually Dravet syndrome. Dravet, is that how it's it's pronounced? It's a French doctor who discovered it. And um, yeah, I I thank you so much for giving me the platform to talk about this because I, I often look at my life as an actress, as an opportunity to really shed light on my current situation, having a child with a severe medical condition. And um, I feel like, you know, it's been a gift as well as a curse (laughs) in a lot of ways. And I think um, a lot of families of kids with special needs would identify with it in that way. But, you know, life goes on. And, um, you know, having a diagnosis like that for a child in your family or anybody in your family, rather, is quite a lot to handle, but it teaches you. And that's kind of one thing that I've been trying to get out into the world, into the community. Even before I was an actress, I obviously spent a lot of time in the family network, um, working with other families. And there's a lot of disabling of hope when you get a diagnosis like that uh, as a parent. And what I found is that uh, you really have to, (laughs) you have to do a lot of soul searching and digging. It really pushes you in that direction. And some families um, don't. And you can test for it if you have a child already with with Dravet syndrome, you know to look specifically for that gene. But there are so many other rare diseases with um, identifying genes that cause rare diseases. And um, unless you're looking for this specific gene, it's not something that would be in a prenatal test. So I understand uh, in some of the reading that I did that the children who suffer with it have seizures. Yes. And I guess it's sort of like a epilepsy. So Dravet syndrome is actually the, the the doctor's identified name for it, but it's it's called severe myoclonic epilepsy of infancy. It was considered the most catastrophic form of infantile epilepsy. And so children who have been identified with this disease typically have uh, more than one seizure in the first year of life, Yikes. along with often febrile seizures. Dravet syndrome is actually on the severe end of the febrile seizure spectrum. Uh, They will also have uh, very prolonged seizures. So typically a seizure over five minutes is uh, a severe life-threatening emergency. But children with Dravet specifically, and, and this is probably the devastating part, can have seizures that will go on for hours and hours and hours, hundreds to thousands of seizures a day. Oh my gosh. Yeah. And 
then that's followed by, you know, various developmental delays. And the other identifying marker is having multiple seizure types. So it's not just, you know, what people call grand mal seizures or petite mal seizures. It's, it's a bunch of different kinds. They're not all presenting the same. And it's a spectrum disorder. So not every child has the exact same picture. Oh, gosh. Okay, so so when these seizures come, is there any warning or do you know what triggers the seizures in your son? So I've um, worked with a, a lot of families, uh, just been networking uh, with a lot of families of kids with Dravet syndrome. And, you know, a lot of people, they... You know, they complain about it, it just being very, very different. But the but the seizures themselves really present very different, and they're they're very difficult to treat. I guess. Okay. Uh, so, is there medicine that your son takes? Or is- yeah. So, <laughs> so often the children will try uh, numerous anti-epileptic medications as daily medications, and often they fail them. My son is on a combination right now that's been very, very productive for him. But in terms of treating emergencies, there is an emergency protocol. There are different types of emergency medications that families use. Uh, My son uses midazolam intranasally, which, um, you know, might not work for another Dravi family. So that's the tricky part. And I... People ask me what works for me, and I often have to say just because it works for me doesn't mean, you know, it's going to work for your child. But it's always good to have as much information as as right. you can. Mm-hmm. So, so I understand there's no cure. If you have Dravet, you have there Dravet. There is no cure. And so in the midst of taking the medication, does that mean that he has fewer seizures or the seizures aren't as strong as if he wasn't on the medication? Or does it mean that he doesn't have seizures anymore when he's on no, the medication? No, no, no. He still has seizures. So it's funny because I'm like, oh, he's he's pretty well controlled. And so people think that means, oh, his seizures are gone. Right, yeah. But no, he will have seizures for the rest of his life. And I think um, I, we've found a combination of medications that have have worked for him and have, you know, you know there's a a big balancing act of being on a combination of medications and and what is the best case scenario so that he can continue to function normally because anti-epileptic medications can cause anorexia. They can cause such a reduced appetite or an increased appetite or difficulty sleeping or way too much sleeping. So it's really about finding a medication combination or even a medication at all that helps you balance just quality of life on top of, you know, controlling seizures. You don't want to be in the hospital every day because it traumatizes the whole family, sure. uh, not just the child, but you also want to have some balance of being able to do normal everyday things as well. Understandable. And, and is it affecting his development, let's say at school or, or athletically as well? Yeah, very much so. Uh, so, You know, after getting the diagnosis, we were uh, given an opportunity to consult with geneticists just so they could explain, not that we really understood uh, what it meant, but um, speaking to a geneticist, um, from what I understand, specifically where this gene was located in his DNA strand, um, it happened to be in a very important place uh, that, from what I understand, interrupts proper protein function for proper brain function. So the, the metabolizing of the protein is different? Yes. And um, that has very much affected him developmentally. And oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. So, so what's a typical day like? like? I guess you're on edge wondering whether or not this is going to be a seizure day or not a seizure yes. day. Yeah? yeah. So earlier, so my son is now 
12. And um, naturally, the first few years of his life were the most devastating, the most difficult uh, to handle emotionally, I guess, as a parent. Because he didn't understand what was happening to him. I didn't understand what what was happening. I I wasn't sure that, you know, you question yourself as a parent, obviously. But now that he's a little bit older and, uh, you know, we have these seizures more balanced and controlled, it's definitely the developmental delays that are probably the most difficult piece of the picture. I'm lucky enough that my my son is toilet trained, which is one thing that parents can take for granted. Uh, You know, just being toilet trained, being able to uh, eat well, um, feed himself sometimes. But, you know, again, the medications can really interrupt his his efficacy to be able to feed and 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 balance his just things we take for granted, just whether or not he'll sleep well the night before, uh, whether he'll eat the next day. Um, so developmentally, he does attend um, a school for children with special needs. He needs a lot of support. There is nursing in the school for emergencies. I specifically chose, selected a, um, a school for him that was close enough to the hospital should there be emergencies, which there have been. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, he's also, um, he wears braces to walk. He can walk, but I think the biggest hit for us was that um, he was affected with what they call ataxia. So his the trunk of his body does not communicate well with his limbs. So th- his trunk doesn't work as well as most people's do. So standing up straight and um, and walking well is is sometimes iffy. He could have a really bad day where there's more seizure activity that even we can identify uh, in his brain and he'll have difficulty walking. And so, yeah, I bring a wheelchair stroller for when we go around to uh, different activities. But at school, he'll, he, he walks on his own. And can he be on his own or does he have to have constant care? He needs round-the-clock care. I sleep with him with a note oxygen saturation monitor on top of sleeping with him because he does have, he's had nocturnal seizures, so seizures at nighttime. If he happens to have a a spontaneous fever in the middle of the night, you'll he'll have the seizure before the, the fever presents itself. So that's often how we'll know. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah. So, and, I, and I'm thinking to myself, it's not only how you're dealing with him now, but you're going to be dealing with this for the rest of his life, which yes. means you have to plan for the future. There's a lot of preparing, a lot of preparing involved. Um, so I, I often, everything I do, I think about how I'm not going to burn my cash and, yeah. <laughs> you know, how to save and, which is good. I mean, we, we should all anyway, but I obviously think, uh, I think big picture, but having a child with a life-threatening disease like this also um, makes you think about living as well and, and living costs something. Right. as well. So traveling and spending moments together and doing things that he enjoys and and all of those things will cost something. So again, it's just about finding those balances in life. And how do you find balance for yourself, right? Mm-hmm. Because you have to keep, you have to be healthy because you have somebody who isn't who you have to care for. Definitely. Uh, so, so that is the biggest thing that I share with other parents of kids with special needs in general um, because it's very hard to do. And uh, I, what I just, I often say is, you have to put your oxygen mask on before you you can be there for your children. Your children need you. So, um, yeah, it's just, I think therapy is really important. That's something that's worked for me. Meditation, caring about what I put into my body, caring about making sure that I'm hydrated. And I sometimes catch myself saying, okay, I need to stop and have a drink of water right now. And why? Because that's important. Because I, I need that. And that's a basic necessity of life. And And when I do little things like that, we have such an enjoyable life 
And when mom's happy, everybody's happy. Well, that's that's good news. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you so much. And for sharing your me. story. I appreciate being able to talk about this. Thank you to all my wonderful guests, Dr. Philip Rochatis, ND, Carlisle Jansen, Megan Horsley, and Celestine Caravaggio. And thank you all for listening to The Tonic. You can listen or download this episode as a podcast with full show notes and links at thetonic.ca. To find out more about the show, you can follow us at The Tonic Talk Show on Instagram or Facebook. For great articles written by Carlisle Jansen, Megan Horsley, and other amazing health and wellness writers, be sure to pick up your copy of Tonic Magazine. Tonic is available free on racks at over 200 locations across the GTA and delivered with the Globe and Mail to home subscribers in 11 choice neighborhoods in Toronto. Or you can visit our website at tonictoronto.com. If you're interested in providing feedback or suggesting topics for the show, you can email me at jamie at tonictoronto.com. Please join us next week on The Tonic when we'll discuss the health benefits of chicken soup, new and fun ways to reach your New Year's resolution fitness goals, and preparing to take fitness classes so that you don't get injured. Until then, this is Jamie Busson wishing you a healthy and happy week. Please consult a healthcare professional before starting any diet, exercise, supplementation, or medication program. This has been a paid announcement. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.